All right. Uh, thanks for coming. This is part two of our three-part discipleship seminar. Uh, thanks for coming. Let me let me pray, and then we'll start. Uh, Father, we thank you so much that you've given us the opportunity to come, and um, and as you've saved us, um, you've called us to do your work, and that is to make disciples of all nations. And we thank you, Lord, that um, you've given us the Holy Spirit, as we've been hearing in, in the sermons, um, how much we need to rely on the Spirit to do its work and do His work. And I just pray that, Father, as we um, seek to make disciples in our church, as we seek to help others follow Christ, as we follow Him ourselves, I pray that the Spirit would, would richly dwell in us and we would, we would, uh, we would uh, just powerfully move in this church to make disciples, to help people grow and mature, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. We thank you so much. Be with me today as I share and uh, be with this time. And prepare our hearts for the message to come. In Christ's name we pray, amen. All right, so today um, we're doing the second part of the discipleship seminar. I just kind of want to have a casual conversation about some of the things that I've learned in my life about discipleship, some of the things that we see in scripture about discipleship. And um, honestly, if you look at the first top of the page, you see a bunch of resources there. Um, Those are some excellent materials. I, I highly recommend all of these things. Um, I really especially like the Mark, Mark Dever's Discipling book, um, Robert Coleman's Master Plan of Evangelism, which sold, I think it sold close to 4 million copies, is another amazing book that talks about, uh, about that. I'm, I'm borrowing a lot from him and a lot from my own experiences, people who've, who've uh, discipled me in my life. Um, and also those last two books are, uh, are, are helpful if you're trying to learn how to read scripture effectively. So, so there's some resources for you. I have no new ideas. I'm not presenting anything of my own creativity-wise. These are all ideas that have either been transferred to me or I've read in, read somewhere or I've seen modeled in my life. So um, that's kind of what it is. And um, if, you know, if you guys know me at all, um, along with the gospel, you know there's a couple things that I'm particularly passionate about with the church. And uh, one is having healthy church membership. And the other is uh, having a culture of discipleship. And I wasn't always passionate about that, you know. Um, when I was younger, I really viewed, I, I, I really attended church as a sh- social gathering, and a lot of my time spent spending time with people was uh, for entertainment and friendship. But there was not a lot of, lot, lot, not a lot in the way of helping people mature in their faith. And then when I was younger, I also saw a lot of people, my, a lot of my friends leave the faith and leave the church, and I honestly didn't know what to do. And so um, there were some, but uh, fortunately there were some got, uh, good pastors and brothers who came into my life. And they discipled me, and after several years of walking with me and teaching me and training me, it, it made sense to me. And I'm convicted, and I'm convinced that discipling other people and, uh, and, and beginning, starting and beginning with the members of your church, as I think, is the best and most effective way towards making disciples. So um, last week, Wade went over and he beautifully articulated the biblical framework for discipleship. If you guys remember the kind of chiastic kind of use of multiplication, multiplication uh, uh, commanded to back to multiplication commanded and through the whole whole cycle. And he, he linked the the uh, the creation mandate, uh, the cultural mandate of be fruitful and multiply to the commandment of making disciples of all nations in the in the, in the what the first Adam could not do. The second Adam, Jesus commands to do with his bride. And so uh, I love that I love that he shared that because I think one of the biggest problems in American church today is that Christians, they become saved and they largely see their their salvation as an individualistic thing. They see, okay, it's like a it's like a get out of hell free ticket. And um, they don't if you ask the average Christian today, um, 
how were you saved? What, in what manner were you saved? They tell, they can tell you, oh, Jesus died on the cross. You know, he 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 paid my he paid my paid for my sins. You can we can also know who saved us. They can say talk about Jesus. But when I ask people and I ask a lot of Christians, what is the purpose for which you're saved? What why were you saved? What was the purpose for which you're saved? A lot of people don't have an answer to that question. And uh, so your your faith becomes largely relegated to this individual, private, spiritual experience. And if you know anything about Christian faith, Christian faith might be personal, but it's a nev- it's never a private thing. It's always an outward. It's always relational. And honestly, the churches churches have have gotten it wrong a lot of times in in this area. Um, if you look at um, Ephesians two eight through nine, which we all know very well, it says, "For by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of works, not lest any man should boast." It's he, 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 we, we learn about this in Ephesians two, but then we we skip Ephesians two ten, which tells us that we are God's workmanship, that we're created in Christ Jesus to do the works that He prepared beforehand for us to do, and so we don't know why the purpose for which we are saved. And I'm convinced that Jesus is telling us that the reason we were saved is to participate in this biblical narrative, this historical historical framework of the gospel to participate in making disciples. And so um, that would that's kind of what we're headed towards. Uh, a lot of times I ask uh, young people, I ask people in our church, I say, hey, how's your, uh, how's your spiritual life? And almost universally, people answer that question by telling me about their personal, private, spiritual uh, experiences, how much they pray, how much they read their Bible. And when I look at the New Testament, with all the dozens of one anothering commandments of the New Testament, I just don't see that. Right? It's, it's, you can't answer the question of how's your spiritual life or how's your walk with Jesus apart from the one anothering of the New Testament. And I, and I see that there's a deficiency there. So it's not just your Bible reading. It's not just your prayer life. Those things are hugely important, but it's not just those things. So when I ask people, how's their spiritual life? They only answer it in, well, I'm not really reading my Bible these days, and I haven't been really praying. And it's, we've been trained to think this way instead of thinking, what if, what if, how am I fulfilling the one another commands of the New Testament? How am I participating in my local church? How am I outward facing towards others? And so today, um, I want to you guys to think about this, Jesus' last command. It was the last thing that he said, the last command that he said right before he went to heaven. And it's the, it's the Great Commission. Jesus came to, and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And... Um, I want to, today I want to talk a little bit about the greatest disciple maker that's ever been, who is Jesus. And uh, I want to think, you to think about how intentional, how every detail in the Gospels are laid out regarding Christ's life. Think about all the details surrounding his incarnation, how he came to earth. And then think about how, uh, how if you look at the passion narratives, how carefully Jesus made his way into Jerusalem, all the little details of how he did things. Everything was perfectly laid out because this was God's plan from eternity past. So if we look at Jesus' life, a lot of times we focus on his death and resurrection. We focus on the Christmas story. And sometimes we don't focus. We, we also focus on the healing and the things he said. But sometimes we, we overlook the fact that Jesus' plan for the entire world was to take these 12 men that he discipled and use that as the model for evangelism for the entire world. And so um, I think as we, as we look at this, uh, we can take some principles away from as we l- look and examine Jesus' life. We can see some tips of, of our own lives for those of you guys who are eager to, to uh, do, pay, take part in disciple, disciple making. 
and uh, some things that we need to think about. And so as we go through this, it's a lot of information, but hopefully something, some of this stuff will stick with you. Some of this stuff will make sense. Um, and so I want to go through this. And the first thing is, the first point is, as we look at Jesus' uh, disciple-making plan, the focus of Jesus' disciple-making, which was the focus was on a few, on a few. Um, that's the first bullet point there. Jesus' focus was on people, not programs. And here's what Robert Coleman says in his book. He says, his concern was not with programs to reach the multitudes, but with men whom the multitudes would follow. And if you notice, Jesus, he started to gather these men, these disciples, even before he preached his first public sermon. So if you look at the um, Matthew 5, if you look at the, the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, all the disciples are called, or the disciples are called before that. And so you start to see that he started to gather these men before he even preached his public sermon. Um, Jesus' focus was on a few people, not many. You know, Jesus probably had uh, hundreds, if not thousands, of disciples. The Bible doesn't accurately say exactly how many people followed him. But when he, what he did was he prioritized the quality and depth of relationships more than the number of them. So he couldn't effectively disciple everybody, so he selected a few. Namely, he selected 12. And, so, and some scholars say that up to 60% of his public ministry, which we focus on the sermons and the healings, but actually 60% of his public ministry was focused on the time with his disciples. And that's huge, right? We're looking at how, does, how did Jesus do ministry? He focused on a few men and quality and depth of the relationship. Jesus' focus on the few wasn't because he couldn't influence the, ma- because he couldn't influence the masses. In fact, Jesus, you see several, uh, several occasions where he's attracting thousands and thousands of people. And he was so good at attracting crowds. At one point, if you look at John uh, 6.15, it says they wanted to take him by force to make him king. That's how good he was at reaching the crowds. And he was compassionate. There are so many verses where it says Jesus looked at them and had compassion on them. For they were like sheep without a shepherd. Or they were, had compassion on them because they didn't have any food to eat. Um, but he constantly pushed back against this kind of superficial popularity. If you look at John 7.4, um, his brothers urge Jesus to show yourself to the world. And then Jesus kind of sneaks away and he doesn't, he doesn't show himself to the world, obviously. And time and again, what you see is that the Gospels tell of Jesus deliberately moving away from of the crowds to spend time with his disciples, right? And uh, he, he constantly pushes against this. Think about all the times he healed people and he said, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody about this. Um, um, and look at uh, Mark 6, 31 through 32. Uh, Josh, could you read that for us? Yeah, and there's so many passages like that in the, in the Gospels. I love this particular passage. It's so beautiful. Like, so Jesus sends out his disciples, and he, uh, and he um, tells them to go, go preach. And so they, the disciples go and obey, and they t- tell people to preach, and they preach uh, repentance. And they come back, and they tell all of that Jesus, all that they experienced, right? They're having this discussion with Jesus. And Jesus says, come on, let's, let's go away. You guys have been working hard. Let's go away to, by ourselves to a desolate place and rest. And actually, they didn't get to rest because that's where the 5,000 came and you had to feed them. But, but it, was, it, was, uh, it was something that happened. Um, and um, let's see. Where am I? I lost my place. And also, lastly, Jesus' focus wasn't on making converts. His focus was on making disciples. And I think there's a, that's an important distinction. If you measured by church standards today, Jesus' ministry, uh, ministry wasn't very successful. Think about the crowds of people who follow him. Sometimes he had thousands and thousands. If you think about the feeding of the 5,000 and just the, that's just the men, it, it could have been easily fifteen to eight, twenty thousand 20,000 people there in that crowd. 
if you think about all the people that follow, followed him around, relatively few of them were converted. And that's something that's important. Conversions can be made in a moment. Disciples have to be made over a lifetime. And I think that's, that's really huge. Jesus was focusing on that. And I would say, I want to add here a little bit about if you're involved in cross-cultural missions or if you're in overseas missions, I think especially we've got to pay attention here because missions, missions agencies need to partner with churches and local churches to plant churches that will be discipling hubs for future ministries, right? They, they're not there to just make converts and leave. They've got to be there and make plant churches and, and teach the people there and, and, and walk and train with them. So I think that's, the, uh, that's, that's something that's a kind of an aside, but I thought that it would be good to, to, to mention. So again, the focus of Jesus' disciple was making a, what, a few people, a few people, a few quality key relationships. You guys have any questions so far? Feel free to, oh, by the way, feel free to ask any questions and think of questions uh, for the end. All right, second point. The few, these few of Jesus' disciple making. I want to I I talk a little bit about the 12, right? You guys know about these 12 disciples. How did Jesus choose the 12? And I think this was great. In Luke 6, 12 through 13. Tay, could you read that for us? Uh, in these days, he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night, he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12. I thought that was so amazing, right? Jesus is, Jesus is going to pick his disciples. And what does he do? He goes into the mountain. He just prays all night for his disciples. If you guys are thinking about who do I talk to? Who, do I, who are the people that I need to make disciples of? Who are the, the coworkers or family members or church members I need to reach to? Man, if we're not praying, we're, we're doing something wrong, right? Jesus praying and he's, you know, just, he's, just, he's setting this example for us. And um, okay, great. And now what kind of man, men were they? What is distinguishing, distinguishing about these 12 men? Actually, not very much. Most simply stated, they were just ordinary men. There's no, nothing, nothing spectacular about them. There's no appreciable gifts. In fact, if you look at the... the Jesus wasn't thinking about, okay, are these guys going to get along? Because if you look, he picked Levi the tax collector, Matthew the tax collector, and he picked Simon the zealot. Those are like the two mutually opposed people, right? Um, and uh, they, they, they hated each other, and these people were in the same group. So if you think about it, he just picked ordinary guys. There's nothing that stands out with them in particular. They weren't extremely gifted. They were just sort of a cross-section of Jewish men from different backgrounds, and, and uh, some of them were blue-collar workers. Some of them came from families with money. Um, and look, in Acts 14, uh, <laughs> some of the people who are listening to Peter and John, they say, well, hey, when they perceived that Peter and John were uneducated common men, they were astonished. Right? These were just regular old dudes, right? And so I think, that's a, I think that's something that's also good to know. Jesus wasn't looking for the most talented. He wasn't looking for the most gifted people. He was just looking for men. But what we can notice about these three guys, or about these 12 men, they had three key characteristics which I think constitute good disciples. And I think they were, they were willing, one, they were available, and they were teachable. And I think that's really, really important if you're looking for disciples or if you're trying to be a disciple. Look, they, they willingly left their past lives and they availed themselves to follow Jesus wherever he would lead. I think that's, that's so important. Think about that. They just left and they, they went with Jesus wherever he went. And I think the most important characteristic is that they were teachable. When I was reading through the Gospels, I, w- I read through uh, some of the Gospels this week, and I, the way I read it was I was trying to read with a focus on how Jesus interacted with his disciples. I wasn't thinking about Jesus' teaching or the theology or the cross. I was really focusing on how was Jesus interacting with his disciples. And I see the evidence of these guys who are just so teachable. They're willing to be molded by the Creator's hand, so to speak, right? They were observant. They're constantly seeing what was going on. They were constantly asking questions of Jesus, right? They're willing to share and discuss, like after they came back from their preaching uh, time. 
and they obeyed his commands. When Jesus said, do something, they did it. Um, and if you read through the Gospels, uh, every time, sometimes things happen, and then later the disciples will question Jesus about it, right? So um, think about the parable of the sower, right? When they, he, he explained the four soils, and later the disciples privately asked him what, that, what the parable meant, right? Or you think about in Mark 20, 9, 28, his disciples asked him privately, this is about a demon they couldn't cast out. Why, Jesus, why couldn't we cast out that demon, right? So they were, they were wanting to learn. Or Mark ten twenty six, they were exceedingly, exceedingly astonished and said to them, who then can be saved? Right, because he's talking about the rich young ruler. And he, they were constantly asking Jesus questions to, to get answers from him. And then look at Mark 6.30. This is after they came back. The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. They were, they were discussing with Jesus. They were sharing with Jesus what happened in the, in, the, in the time that they were doing ministry. I want to ask you guys a question. Do you guys think you guys are teachable? Do you consider yourself a teachable person? Um, I think that's probably the most important characteristic of a disciple. Um, if you're trying to pick people to disciple and you have to decide, I think this is one of the key traits to look for. Um, and uh, I can pretty much tell when I've, in my experience of being with uh, young guys and discipling them, I can pretty much tell who the disteachable ones are. They're the ones who come and they, they've done all the notes, right? They take all their notes. You look in their thing, they're, they're, they're ready, right? They've done the readings, right? They're ready to go, right? They're, these people are wanting to learn. They're eager, right? They show up and they're, they're ready to go. Um, and so I think uh, that's a great uh, characteristic. Not, and these characteristics are not just of good disciples, but they're also good for disciple makers. Um, disciple makers are also willing, available, and teachable. Um, let me ask you guys this. Do people have access to you? Hmm? When, um, when they need you, do they think that you'll be available if you need them to call you? Um, do you pick up their phone calls? Do they know that you're going to pick up their phone calls? I think these are ways that we can know that we, we can be good disciple makers. You know, Tina calls me sometimes. And uh, whenever Tina calls, I know she's not just calling me to say, hey, how, what's up? She's calling me because there's a question that she has, something about her life, something. And, and when I see her phone number, I pick up because I know she's going to ask me something and I, and I, I, want, to be, I want to pick up. Um, I read this book, for example. Here's another one. I'm constantly learning, too, about what it means to disciple others. I read this book called Not Yet Married. It's about dating, singleness. I read, you know when I read that? I read that two years ago, four years after I'd been married. <laughs> but why did I read that? Because I realized if I want to help young people in their singleness and their dating, I need to learn. So if you want to be a disciple, part of it is we have to learn, right? Um, I remember a young, uh, a young guy that I was with, and he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. I'm going to talk a little bit about him later. But I just had to learn about the 12 steps for AA because I didn't know what it was. I had to read books on addiction, and I, I had to go through the CCEF website and read David Pallison articles because I didn't know how, any of this stuff. So um, I think it's, it's important that we continu- continually teach ourselves and learn and, and, as, and grow in this area. So um, that's another point. All right, so another thing about the 12. I think I'm not good, doing good on time, but uh, Jesus had an inner circle, and I think this is so awesome. Look at Mark 5.37. This was on the way to Jesus raising Jairus' dead daughter. He says, And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter, James, and John. And uh, look at the Mark, Mark 9, uh, 9.2. This is the Mount of the Transfiguration. Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John and led them up to a high mountain by themselves, and he was transfigured before them. And I think if you're, if you're doing a group or if you have a group of friends, I think inner circles are wonderful. I think they're a great way and they're a great way to exist to draw out more intense things in discipleship that you can only have in deep intimacy, in deep relationship. 
And, uh, and you know, I think there's a lot of talk sometimes at churches about the, the danger of cliques. I think it's a real danger. I think we shouldn't have cliques. But I think the danger of cliques is when people form their cliques around external factors. Like, we like to hang out together, or we all like basketball, or, you know, I think those cliques aren't, aren't necessarily helpful. But I think cliques are, that are formed um, t- for the deep intimacy, the things that you can only draw out with a select few, I think that's a great thing. I think Jesus models that um, himself. And if you notice, although the disciples murmured and they complained about a lot of things, there's actually no record of complaint that the other disciples re- regarding De- Jesus' inner circle. And I, you don't see that. You don't see anyone murmuring about that. So I think that's something also that we can learn from, from Jesus' example. All right. No questions. Okay. Feel free. Oh, yes. Huh? Go. Yes. Dorothy. Um, can you talk about length of time for inner circle? Is it like a lifetime relationship potentially? Like, how do you balance that with, like, continuing to make disciples? Yeah, that's that's a good question. Um, it depends. Um, but it, but I think, I, I for me, I just, I have an inner circle. Sometimes it changes, but I, those are the people that I, that I, I trust deeply. Some of them last a lifetime. You know, I have a friend I've known for, 30 years and that I, I'm with. Um, and But sometimes it can be changed. It, it could be a different group. Um, sometimes I, when I came to IGC, I didn't know anybody, but now I, I do have an inner circle, but it's, it's, uh, it, cha- it, can, it can change. I don't know if that helps. Were you going to say something? I was going to say, I think the proper way to think of the inner circle is not in terms of Jesus showing favor, Yes. but in terms of his um, doing intensity. Yes. Intensity of relationship. Yes. Yes. But maybe three. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. All right. Um, The formula for Jesus' disciple making. Point three presence and participation. And I love this verse. It's one of my favorite verses when I think about Jesus. Mark 3 14. Um, Peter, can you read that for us? Yeah. And he appointed 12, whom he also named apostles, so that they might be with him and he might send them out. I love that. Why? He picked these guys so what? So he could just be with them. I think that's like the key to discipleship. You just got to be with people. Um, I think this might be the most important part of making disciples. Some scholars estimate that for about 90% of Jesus' ministry, the disciples were either with him or they were nearby. Um, in the last days of Jesus' life, there's virtually never, if you look at the passion narratives, oh, there's almost never a time when the Jesus, was, Jesus uh, wasn't with his disciples. Even at the Garden of Gethsemane, the disciples were there. They were sleeping, but they were there, right? <laughs> so you see that. And Jesus modeled um, this life-on-life living and ministry. Think about all the things that disciples saw Jesus do. They saw him teach. They saw him preach. They saw him answer questions, heal people, eat, rest, eat, be fatigued, be angry, be sad, mourn, rejoice, comfort, rebuke, challenge, say a little bit, say a lot, interact with others. I mean, we, they saw all of it. They saw Jesus modeling that. And I think the principle here is that, yes, we do need didactic preaching, teaching type of things, but they all, we, people also need apprenticeship. They, need to he, they don't need to just hear the Bible from you. They need to see you reading it. Right, um, parents, you probably see this better than anybody. Right, if you if they kids just do what you do, right? They, if they see you doing something, they want to do it. And I think um, that's something that we we can take take away from from Jesus's life. People need to see how you live. People need to see you stumble and they struggle and fight and thrive, rejoice, mourn, grow, learn, forgive, show grace, excel. They need to, people need to see that. Um, Tay, I've uh, I've been in this relationship with Tay for the long, longest, long, longer than anybody with anybody. Fifteen years, he was there. You guys met like the 2016 version of me and Annie, but Tay was there from like the the beginning, 
And sometimes me and Annie would fight. Like at the beginning of our marriage, Tay would be there and we'd be fighting in the house. And Tay would be like, should I leave? And I'm like, no, you, you guys, we, me and Annie are like, no, you guys, you stay here. You need, <laughs> you need just to watch, right? <laughs> and then, and then but, but you know what? Tay would sit there and then he would be awkwardly sitting there, but he would also see us resolve the issue too. I think, I think that's such a key part of discipleship. People just need to be in your house. They need to see how you live. They need to see how you, uh, how you clean your house and do the dishes, you know? Um, there was this one woman, I was reading about this article about this woman who was going to disciple a bunch of women. They were, she was so feeling like, I'm not worthy to do this. I can't, I feel so underqualified. I have to take care of my kids. And as she started having women in her house, she, she realized that so much of discipleship was watching her kids scream at her, right? And just being in that mess and see, being in that muck. And I think that's such, a, such an important thing to see how she cleans her house and to see how she prepares her life and takes care of her kids. I think there's so much of that. And um, honestly, like, they just need to be around you. I remember me and Tay, we would just, gra- gra- I would say, Tay, what are you doing today? No, uh, I'm not doing anything. Okay, come over. What are we doing? I don't know. Right? It's just, we're going to go to the store together. And then we'll have conversation as we're going to the store. Let's go to the gym. Let's do whatever. And then we just hang out and we talk and we, and we talk about all kinds of stuff. So I think that's important. I think Jesus, um, Jesus did that. He showed people. Remember, he even washed their feet. Right? Think about all that. And more than anything, I think, in his modeling, I think Jesus modeled a life devoted to knowing and living out the Word of God. And this is so important. Um, there's at least 66 references that Jesus makes to the Old Testament in his conversations with the disciples in the four Gospels. And that's not including the 90-plus allusions to the Old Testament in speaking with others. So the disciples are watching Jesus, and he's constantly referencing Scripture. Constantly. I think that's so important. I want to say you guys can't make, and we can't make, disciples apart from the Word of God. The thing about the Great Commission says teach. you have to teach them. How do you make disciples? You have to teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. How can we teach people to obey everything that Jesus has commanded if you don't know what he commanded? You have to know the word of God. The cornerstone of every discipling relationship is the word of God. Without it, there's no discipling. It just turns into like guruism or like passing down of personal preferences. I've done that, by the way, <laughs> in my discipling relationships. It's not, it's not, it's not pretty. Um, speaking truth in love um, means you have to speak from a source. I said that before. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to be an expert theologian. It doesn't mean that you have to be a Bible, like a master Bible expositor. But there should be a willingness to read Scripture together, right? Um, I remember my old pastor. I don't. He, if I took away one thing from my last pastor um, in my previous church, the one who my spiritual mentor, is that he loved the Word of God. He lo- absolutely loved the Word of God. And I was, I was at uh, Michael Kwong's house uh, a couple months ago or a month ago, and she, he he told me that at one point in his life he was reading Scripture for eight hours a day. He's like, I have to, I, I'm playing catch-up. I've got to read, eight, read Scripture for eight hours a day. That's the kind of guy I want to hang out with, right? Isn't that who you want to hang out with? Someone who reads Scripture for eight hours a day? I want to, read, I want to know that guy. So um, if, if you guys don't know the Word of God, if you, guys aren't, uh, if, if you guys don't know how to study it, please come talk to me. Please, let me, let me my suggestion is to find someone who, do, who, who knows how to read it and ask them to show you, right? There's a lot of people in our church. Um, you can ask our pastors. They'll, t- they'll teach you how to read the Word of God. Um, and here's a, another point. Being, being quote-unquote with them was an extremely inefficient, time-consuming, and slow way to spend his valuable time in ministry. Think about this. Jesus had three short years of ministry. How did he spend his time? He spent his time bunch with 12 dudes, like just walking mile after mile in sandals, waiting. They have to get food. Okay, you got to get food. You got to travel together, right? Honestly, like it's so inefficient. I mean, I, I don't want to be crass, but think about 12 guys. They have to use the bathroom every day. 
just have to wait for that every single day. You just have to wait for these people to use the bathroom, to eat, to to get ready, get your clothes. I've got to go. Like guys move slow, man. We're, we're, we're laggers. Have you ever hung out with guys? They just on a Saturday we have got to go somewhere by one, and then just like oh, I got to use the bathroom, and it's like another forty minutes, right? So it's it's just it's just a slow process, right? And I want to say that I think for us in the Bay Area. I want to say that I think time is the most significant measurable cost and barrier to effectively making disciples. I was talking with um, people at the retreat around this table, and we were talking about BTS, the K-pop group. And then they were saying, man, the tickets are like 300 or 300 bucks or something. And they said, I would pay that. But then you have to wait in t- line for like four hours to get the tickets or something. And they were like, oh, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> They're willing to pay $300. They don't want to wait in line for four hours because the time is more valuable, right? And I think that's the that's the thing. But I, I, and I'm not, I'm not gonna I'm gonna be unapologetic about this. There's no way around it. You have to spend time with people. There's no way around it. Getting to know somebody it takes a long time. <laughs> Earning trust it takes a long time. Drawing out their idols and watching people work things out in their lives it takes a long time. You cannot rush it. You know. I remember how I got close to Kyle at our church. Um, I just spent time with him. Like we played like. FIFA together, we played pool. It took a long time before we even talked anything about anything spiritual in his life. It took a long time. We just had to spend time together. Um, and some of us are like, man, I'm really busy though. I have all these things going on in my life. But trust me, you're not, you're not busier than Jesus, right? <laughs> you're not busier than Jesus. Your time was not more important than his. If he can make time to spend time with people in his busy three-year ministry, you can make time to spend with people. And that doesn't mean that there's not seasons of busyness where you can't do that. But I, I want to say that you have to spend the time. That's the biggest cost and barrier. That's going to be the biggest obstacle for most of us. Um, and also, I want to say, like, you know, Jesus, he didn't foreknow us before the foundations of the world to be saved. He was going to foreknow us, and he was going to justify us and sanctify us and glorify us. And he wants to save us so we can participate in this plan of making disciples. And then he said, you know what, but I'm going to give you a life that's too busy to do it. That wouldn't make any sense, right? He's He's giving us the things are in our lives that we need. He, he, give, he gives us all the time that we need in our life to do it. And so maybe we're prioritizing our lives wrong. I mean, we have to think about that. Um, simple way to be a good member of the church, right? You go to your CG, you go to church, and you got to get to know people. I, there's people, like, you can't be the guy who at exactly like 9 o'clock, 8.59 on, on CG time, you're like waiting and you're putting, your, you're tying your shoes so you can get out of there every week. You got to like, you got to leave some extra space, right? Like Sunday, as soon as Tracy's like doing her last announcement, you're already like packing up your stuff and ready to get out the door to your next thing. I get it. There's things you have to do. But if you're doing that week after week, month after month, year after year, you're not making some time, some extra time in your life to let things happen in your life, then, man, I would say maybe reconsider that. Right, um, and think about evangelism. Right, evangelism in in post-Christian America, it's it's going to take time because you have to you have to do pre-evangelism. You got to get to know people. Right, They're, you can't just hold a Don, John three sixteen sign and hope that people get saved. You have to like meet them. They have to get to know you. They don't trust you because you're a Christian. You can't do drive-by evangelism as you could as as you used to before. You have to make friends and you have to take, take time for them. I remember Justin Buzzard at our workshop last year. He said, if you don't have time for discipleship, you probably don't have time to be a Christian. I think it's true. I think it's true. It's, hard, it's a hard and difficult thing to hear, but I think it's true. All right. Any questions? Take time. All right. All right. Lastly, or that's not lastly, but the farsightedness of Jesus' disciple making. What I love about Jesus is that he had a long-term eternal perspective for his disciples. 
he was not concerned about immediate return on investment, right? Someone once asked me, he said, man, what if I spend all this time with somebody to make disciples and there's no ROI? And I said, well, I didn't say it, but I thought it. I said, man, what was the, what was the ROI for Judas Iscariot? Right? What did Jesus get back from that? Right? He spent all this time with somebody and then he ended up betraying him. In fact, all the disciples kind of abandoned him at the end, right? And here's the principle is that in discipling relationships, people are, people are going to leave you. They're going to hurt you. They're going to misunderstand you. They're going to fall into sin. And, and guess what? You're going to do it too. You're going to do it too as a disciple maker. Um, you're, they're going to abandon you. They're going to leave the faith. Man, I, just, my, I read 2 Timothy last year. And in chapter 4, Paul just talks about how everyone deserted him at his first defense. Demos left him and, uh, you know, because he fell in love with the world. God calls us to faithfulness, although we hope and pray for fruitfulness. And what we have to understand is that um, Jesus didn't even get to see them fully matured in their full mature state. Right? He ascended into heaven, then the Pentecost came and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, then they started doing stuff. So Jesus, most disciples did most of their faithful and fruitful work after Jesus ascended into heaven. He didn't get to see it physically. Right? And I think that's a principle too. Sometimes you don't get to see that. You don't get to see people... Uh, how the effects of your discipling on them, well, how it affected them until way later. Like, you might not even see it ever in your lifetime. But we have to be willingness, we have to have a willingness to do that. Um, I love Mark Dever's quote in, in this, this discipling book. It's one of my favorite quotes in that book. He says, Discipling is the only way I can evangelize non-Christians and equip Christians in that one place where I can never travel, the future beyond my life. Discipling others is now is how I try to leave behind time bombs of grace. I love that phrase because you just never know what the time. I'm, I'm fortunate enough to see a couple people to, who grew up. I, I know Tay since he was in high school. I saw him. I, this is not a version of Tay that I imagined um, where he's just like an amazing, faithful follower of Christ. But I was fortunate enough to see it. But I've seen a lot of people leave. But I've also been around enough to see some people come back to the faith. And we have to, we have to, have a, we have to see that. We need to have like a holy imagination for people that we disciple. You know, when I, when I meet with guys, I'm thinking like, man, could this be a future elder? Could this be a future deacon? Could this be a, a, a future missionary? Are they going to be a community group? How are they going to serve our church? I'm just thinking in my head, like what's going to prevent them from doing that? And how can I, how, how can I help get them there? Um, and lastly, Jesus focused his life on doing things on earth that he couldn't do in heaven. You know, there's a lot we can't do in heaven, Right? Heaven's great, but there's a lot you can't do there. Have you ever thought about that? You can't evangelize in heaven. All right? You can't repent. You can't call anyone to repentance in heaven. You can't forgive people in heaven or show them mercy. You can't bear another one, one another's burdens in heaven, right? There'll be no burdens, right? You know what else you can't do? You can't make disciples, right? Remember last week, Wade talked about Daniel's vision in uh, Daniel 7, where all nations from all t- tribes and tongues and people um, were gathered under the lordship of Jesus. Think about Revelation 7, right? The great multitude of people from all tribes and tongues. The great commission will be fulfilled one day and we will no longer have an opportunity to make disciples. So we have to make disciples now while we have the chance, while we have the time in, in this life. So I think we have to have a future eternal mindset towards discipling. And not get frustrated when things don't exactly turn out like, man, I did a Bible study with this guy this week and he didn't immediately like, you know, fall down and repent. Like that's, it doesn't work that way, right? It takes time and we, we don't know how God's going to use that person's life. 
Okay, I'm rush, rushing through this. Any uh, any questions? All right. Um, I, I, I put this last thing in here as, a, as kind of an extra thought. Um, this is more for like following Jesus, right? You know, time and again, when Jesus talks about discipleship, he, he clearly articulates the cost of discipleship to his followers and tells them that he mu- they must choose God over all else. Think about Jesus says like, hey, um, Jesus, let me, I want to follow you, but my father died, so let me bury him. And Jesus replies to him, hey, you know what? Let the dead bury the dead. Right? He, he says, hey, man, anyone who does not hate his mother or father or brother cannot, is not worthy to follow me. Right? He always tells people, hey, count the cost. Count the cost. He says that. Right? Um, part of discipling has to help us involve, and it has to involve getting, getting to know and helping people that we disciple fight against their idolatries and strengthening their allegiance to Christ. Um, Sometimes part of discipleship, I've found, it involves making sure that people understand that cost and not dumbing down the edges of the sharp edges of the gospel. Um, A lot of the crowd, they turned away from Jesus because they're unwilling to count the cost of following or they were unwilling to pay the cost of following Jesus. And if it was true for Jesus, how much more for us, right? Um, And I want to say something kind of carefully. Um, I think that uh, a lot of people... um, they don't disciple others because they don't know how to do it, right? The disciple making is not, and they're not equipped, and they need more training. But I think there's a lot of people in churches that aren't making disciples. They're not doing this thing because maybe they're not disciples. And I think that's something that we have to think about. I'm not saying that you have to make disciples to become a Christian, but I'm saying that if Ephesians 2:8-9 is true and we are saved by grace through faith, and that Jesus prepared for us works beforehand, that faith that we receive is never alone. It always accompanies. It's always accompanied by uh, by fruit and um, something that we have to think about um, as well. So the, the question for all of us is, do we know the gospel? Do we know the cost of following Jesus? Have you counted the cost? It does cost something. Um, so I did want to say that as an aside. Um, so the final summary of, of what I've been saying is that Jesus' primary earthly ministry focused around a few ordinary men that he would be with, that he would consecrate, and he would send out. Jesus modeled life-on-life discipleship with them with an emphasis on the word of God. Jesus' plan from eternity past for the gospel to reach the ends of the earth was dependent on these 12 ordinary men he walked with, and that's amazing. Think about Jesus. If you were going to plan ministry today, if you were going to plan this gospel outwardness movement, how would you plan it? I wouldn't plan it this way, that's for sure. I would like get a stadium crowd, do a book deal, right? Get like the social media influencers to tell about the stadium that we're going to pack, sell tickets, get crowds, get 10,000, 20,000 people and go preach. Right? And Jesus was like, I'm not doing that. I'm going to take 12 guys. I'm just going to be with them. I'm just going to let them see how I live. I think that's, that's amazing. That's, a, that's an amazing way to do it. Billy Graham, um, Billy Graham would do it the way that Jesus did it. Someone once asked Billy Graham, if you were a pastor of a large church in a principal city, what would be your plan of action? Billy Graham, the great evangelist, he said, I think one of the first things I would do is to get a small group of 8 or 10 or 12 people around me that I would meet a few hours a week and pay the price. And it would cost them something in time and effort. I would share with them everything I have over a period of years. Then I would actually have 12 ministers among the lay people who could then turn take 10, 8 or 10 or 12 and more and teach them. I know one or two churches are doing it and it's revolutionizing the church. Christ, I think, set the, set the pattern. He spent most of his life with 12 men. He didn't spend it with a great crowd 
In fact, every time he had a great crowd, it seems to me that there weren't too many results. The great results, it seems to me, came in this personal interview and in the time he spent with the 12. And I think that's what we want to do as a church. We want to uh, do in this next chapter of IGC, we want to train up, raise people, develop disciples, develop ministry leaders. And we're still figuring out what that's going to look like. Um, and so that's, that's, uh, that's kind of the main thing. I thought I put, put in some other practical thoughts, um, and they're bulleted down there. Um, and uh, also willing to ask any question, answer any questions. Um, I want to say this. On one level, anyone can disciple, uh, any Christian can disciple someone else, right? Um, can you read with somebody? Can you read the Bible with somebody? Can you pray with somebody, get to know their life? Can you do some kind of spiritual good to that other person? I think it's very possible. Can you come to CG and come prepared and have, having read this stuff and prepared and pray for your leaders? I think you could do that. You can, there's a lot of good that you can do. On a, on a, on a ministry-wide level, maybe there's some, there's some that needs, definitely need training. They need some kind of grooming. So I think that's, that's something that you can think about as well. That anyone can do it. Anyone can do it. If you have the Spirit of God, you can do it. If you have the Word of God and the Spirit of God, you can do it. Second thing, discipleship is not a program. Uh, man, I, 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 can't, I can't emphasize that enough. We can't pigeonhole discipling into one or, four, one or two programs. Um, people, uh, I want to say this, formal discipleship groups, I love, I love that they're happening. I, love, I hear about them. I'm, they're so fruitful. I'm so glad. that. But that's not the end goal. Our end goal is not to have everybody in a formal discipleship group. It's not actually, formal discipleship groups, to me, aren't even the highest form of discipleship. You know what the highest form of discipleship is? It's parenting. Parenting. Can't beat that, man. 18 years we were with them. All the time, right? You, you're constantly influencing them. You're constantly trying to do spiritual good to them. You can't beat that in terms of parenting. It's the way God designed it. Um, so, discipling can take a lot of different forms. No one's going to quit their job and hang out with 12 guys like Jesus did. You guys all have things to do, but it's going to look in di- different in different rhythms of life and different times of life. But what's important is that we're, we're faithful in the season that we're in today, right, with the people that God has placed in our lives today. When I was much younger, the, the reason why me and Tate started hanging out was because my pastor, uh, my, the senior pastor of my last church, uh, he, was, he retired a couple years after that, he sat me down and he said, listen, you're disgruntled about your church. And he said, look at, God didn't give you other people. This is the people he gave you. So you have to love the people that are with you right now. And I said, I looked around and I was like, oh, it's Tay. (laughs) Unfortunately, it was Tay. Right? I didn't want to hang out with him. He was a weirdo. Right? But like, honestly, he's like the closest person in my life outside of my wife, outside of my wife. I never thought that would happen because I was just trying to, I think the principles, we just got to like, be faithful to who, who God has placed in our life. Who's in your CG? Start with those people. If there's somebody in your CG who's like, doesn't have a friend, doesn't, you know, start with them. Just hang out with them, right? Um, I think that's important. Don't be afraid of, uh, oh, much, much of modeling is in having people simply observe how you live and ask questions and asking questions. Have people at your house. Let them see how you live. We, we talked about that. Uh, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Mistakes are part of discipleship too. And I think a lot of times I've been able to articulate uh, I've been able to show people through a lot of the mistakes I made. I'll tell you this uh, really embarrassing story. I was with this one uh, one kid. He was really young, and uh, we decided to go see a movie together. I took. I said, "I'll take you to a movie." It was a comedy, and I thought it would be funny. I had, it was before the days where you could read about movies, right? So I went and we watched the movie. And honestly, about 20 minutes in, I realized this is a totally inappropriate movie, and I felt really bad. So we, I said, "Hey, we gotta go." So we just left in the middle of the movie, 
And I had to profusely, I said, I'm sorry, man. I, that was, I didn't realize. And, and I didn't, I felt bad about that. It was a, that was dumb of me. I've, done, I've made a countless number of mistakes, I can tell you. I, I Just come talk to me. I'll tell you about all the stupid things that I've done over the years. Okay, and lastly, I think, you know, we have to try it. Try it. Try. I went to Justin Buzzer Discipling uh, Seminar in 2014, and then I was like, hey, I'm just going to try it. And then I just like, hey, guy, hey, man, you want to meet with me at Nations every Wednesday? That's how, that's how that, that happened. It, didn't, it, didn't even, it wasn't even successful. We, like, stopped meeting after, like, several months. But you've got to try something. I think Jesus, he gave us this great um, command to make disciples but if you look at the command, it's wedged between two promises. Uh, he says, Jesus says to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And then at the end, he says, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of age. God's power, God's presence, there in the, in the middle is the command. I think that's an amazing thing. And I love that Wade's been preaching about trusting in the Holy Spirit to do what man can do. Some of us, we just need to take a chance. We just need to find somebody and, 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 and just be like, hey, you want to you get together? You want to just hang out and talk about stuff and get, get to know each other? Like, I think, I think God will be honored if you, if you try, you pray earnestly, and you willingly let people in your life. Um, any questions? Yes? Yeah. Um, I, I think I can use Josh's example. Josh was like, hey, will you disciple? I think he was going around in a CG going, hey, will you disciple me? And then he got into a discipleship group. And Tay was like, okay, I'll do it. So I think, I think sometimes you just have to ask, you know? Just ask. If you want to be a disciple, if you want to whatever, just ask. And um, 
Um, and I think that's a, a great way to do it. Um, uh, we got we to gotta go. Um, I want to tell you guys one last story. Yesterday, Tay and I, we drove to Bethel Island. It's in Antioch. Uh, it's past Antioch. Uh, we went to go see an old friend of ours, Steve. Uh, I've known Steve for almost 10 years now. He's a recovering drug and alcohol addict, and he's in a long-term program out there. And um, and uh, and uh, he's he's there, and it's, it's tough. He's been there for five months. And me and Tay spent a lot of time with him. And um, he was in my house. He lived with me. Um, he was addicted. I would have to go to um, local uh, corner stores and show him the picture and say, don't let this guy buy, buy anything from you. Like, and he had to live with me for a long time. And, and um, we've had our ups and downs. It was difficult. Um, but Tay was there. We had some, I have some crazy stories with him. He was there. He's doing, he's doing great. He's doing great. I was so encouraged yesterday. We and Tay were, were having these long conversations on the drive there and back. It was like an hour each way. And we were so encouraged by um, what God is doing in his life. And I haven't seen this guy for years. Um, but his mom reached out to me and said, can you, can you go visit him? And so um, we, me and Tay, we drove out. And as I was talking to him, he, he told me that in his rehab program, there's, he's living in this house in the middle of nowhere. And there's seven or eight guys that he has to live with every single day. And he, he wakes up with them. He eats with them. They do Bible studies together. They read. It's actually um, uh, the part of the group is, uh, is Francis Chan's brother does, uh, does some of the ministry there. So it's the, the Chan family. They're doing it out there. And uh, you know what he told me yesterday? Uh, man, this just like hit me so hard. And I was like, man, this is perfect. And I told him I was going to share it. I said, he said, if I don't, I said, man, I said, discipleship for you is, is really important because he's talking about the relationship he has with these other guys. And he said, he said, man, if I don't do discipleship, I'll literally die. I'll literally die because I'll go, I'll, I'll want to go out of here and I'll go back to my old life and I'll probably die physically and spiritually. If I don't do, if I, we don't disciple each other, I'll die. And if we, if they'll die, they'll die. And I, and I believe that if we don't disciple people at IGC, <laughs> some of us are going to die. Um, there's people in the church who, because they're not in relationships with people who are loving them into following Christ, they're in danger. They're in, da- they're in spiritual danger. And they need to be, they need to be discipled. And um, as an elder, the burden of my heart is, I, I don't want there to be gaps in care. Right? I, I hear about people who are about to leave the church or they're, they're, they're struggling and I want to reach them, but I, I realize that they're five degrees separated from my life. There's somebody else who should be much closer to them who's supposed to have that conversation with them. And I feel frustrated because I, I'm, man, I want to talk to them, but I realize that that person should probably have talked to them. How come they're not talking to them? And it's because we, we still need to develop a culture of discipleship. Discipleship is so important. It's so important. We need to get on board. We need to have this culture. We need to instill it among our people. It's going to take years, by the way, to do that, to have that culture implemented, but... That's my hope and desire for the church. I hope some of this stuff was helpful. Um, if there's no other questions, then let me pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that as you came to earth, Father, you didn't just die and rise again, which is in and of itself just amazing. We, could, we can reflect on that forever. But Father, you also set a model for how you want us to do ministry. You set a model of being with people and showing them what life looks like and treasuring your word and and showing them how to do life together. And I just, I just love that. I love that you had that heart. I love that you just, um, you came and you did that and you spent, and your whole plan was focused around these 12 men. Father, how can we do discipleship at our church if we don't have the Holy Spirit? I pray, Father God, as we prepare our hearts for ser- this sermon uh, and this kind of um, final s- a sermon from the First Corinthians series that we've been hearing, that you be with Wade right now 
Father, that your spirit would work in him. And Father, I pray that as we hear, Father, the spirit will work in our hearts so that we would continually follow you, we would mature in Christ, and continue to make disciples everywhere we go, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that you have commanded them, knowing that your power is with us and knowing that you're gonna, you promise to be with us even to the very end of age. So we thank you, Father. Give us opportunities, um, strengthen us, and encourage us. In Christ's name, amen. Thank you.